Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to another conversation with Agility by Nature. You may be used to actually the one-on-ones, the series that we've been doing, and we've got about 35. We thought we'd change the game a little bit. Today, we're going for a panel situation where we've got three remarkable guests to talk about their world. We've been talking about not-for-profits at ABN Towers, and it occurs to us the richness and diversity of the not-for-profit sector is not really recognised. It covers education, science, research, and more obviously helping people directly who need help, be it for health or social situations. We've got a grand group of people today talking about how they've been using technology and how they've been changing the world around them. I think it's going to be a really exciting conversation. Today on the panel, we have Sam Horseman, who is Platform Technology Manager at Welcome, which is the health research and support group. Massive foundation there, fabulous work they've been doing. And I think the very, very moment of pandemic, there's probably a lot of things going on there. We're also joined by Julian Stanley, who's CEO of the Bounce Back Foundation, which is a charity and a social enterprise focused on training and the employment of people in prison or leaving prison. So you could argue from locked in to locked down. So that's going to be a very interesting conversation. And then finally to education, where we got the director of IT from Millfield School. That's the largest co-educational boarding school in the UK. So independent schools, not to be underestimated, they're using technology. And I know Gary Henderson, who's the IT director, has got lots to share there. He's already been telling us some of his stories, which have been great fun. I'm also joined by somebody new, Joanna Spicer-Brown, is our new principal consultant at ABN. She's the person who seduced all this panel to come and talk to us about their world. So it seems sensible that she should lead in and start the conversation. Welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. Morning. Good morning, everybody. Thank you, Ian, for the introduction. Perhaps, first of all, if I could ask each of you to perhaps tell us a little bit about yourself and your organisation. Julian, shall we start with you? Thanks very much. Thanks, Joanna. Lovely to be here. Um, yeah, I'm Chief Executive of Bounce Back, I'm relatively new in post, actually. So um, uh, for a decade, I was doing uh, education support partnership to mental health and well-being in schools, colleges, universities. So working actively on the ground with schools and then also um, running a 24-hour helpline, so a counselling helpline. And then I moved off to start running uh, my own coaching organisation called Clear Thinking and did two years with commercial sector businesses, startups, um, where I saw a lot of people struggling with IT, although it's not my area of expertise. Um, so it was really interesting to see that intersect between trying to plan ahead and people trying to, to digitise. And at Bounce Back, it's really interesting because it's obviously prisons based in part. It's also community training based and working with young people who are at risk of offending or in custody. So it's quite um, a wide variety of things that I have done and do do in these different roles, really, that have all kind of come together, which make it very interesting to do. But also mean I'm interacting with, with very different worlds um, whose capacity to do digital is very varied. Lovely. Um, Gary. Hi. Um, thank you, Joanna, and it's really nice to be here um, also. Uh, my name is Gary Henderson. So originally I was a, a qualified technology teacher, qualifying what seems like um, a long, long time ago um, back in Scotland uh, before moving to the, 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 the kind of northwest of England um, as a, a teacher, working mainly in, at that time, uh, further education. I, I then sort of moved from there and took a big leap and moved out to, to the Middle East, working um, specifically uh, supporting teachers out there with, with um, the, the computing and IT curriculum and with the use of the educational technology. Before then, um, looking at the, the development of a, a number of brand new schools out in the United Arab Emirates. Uh, from the from the design point of view, all the way through to opening and specifically looking at the the technology uh, side of things. More recently, um, I moved back to the the sunny climes of of, of Somerset um, and working with with Millfield as the, the the director of IT, which is my my current role. Uh, the, the role very much has was originally about um, you, you know focusing on providing the, the tools and the technologies, the infrastructure, etc., to support and enhance learning. 
But in the last year, that changed from just supporting and enhancing learning to actually enabling, to, enabling it to happen in the first place. <laughs> so it, it, it's certainly been a, an interesting journey. And the last year has been a, a very, very fast and uh, um, often changing situation. So it's, it's certainly been interesting. Hopefully gives us a fair amount to talk about. Thank you very much. Well, as you would expect, we'll be coming back to you on some of those points. Sam. Morning. Thank you, Joanna. Thank you, Ian. <clears throat> and lovely to be here and part of the conversation. A great, really interesting panel. So my, my name's Sam. I'm the Platform Technology Manager at Welcome. Um, for people who don't know Welcome, it's a global charitable foundation and we support research globally um, to improve health. Really, that's our main vision. Uh, we support a huge range of disciplines and we have um, pretty much every a type of industry under one building and one organization. So um, I'm really excited to share some of the IT challenges that proves when you're looking after a museum and gallery and a professional city investments team as well and, uh, and everything in between that. Um, I look after a lot of very clever third line engineers at Welcome. So uh, we look after cloud platforms, infrastructure platforms, uh, networking, project managers, uh, end user devices. And so the last year has been uh, interesting. Uh, we've been busy, which is great. It keeps us off the streets. Um, but lots of new challenges that we, we couldn't have predicted, I think, before we went into this. So really, really great to be here and share that story with you all. Sam, perhaps I'll, I'll stay with you on the next one. So in normal, usual times before the last year, what would you have said were the, the main challenges you faced in Welcome? Um, that's in normal times, if I can remember back that far uh, in the heady days of, of pre-COVID, um, I guess what I just alluded to, we have uh, we have every discipline, we have every different kind of job type at Welcome. So we have a museum and gallery, a world renowned museum and gallery that um, promotes open access uh, to information, to um, historical texts, historical images. Um, so you can imagine from a GDPR perspective, from a user access perspective, that is, uh, you know, make this as accessible and um, open to as many people around the world. And then it goes all the way through to an investments division, our investments team who look after our private portfolio, which helps do the incredible funding work that we do globally for, for research, science, humanities, social care, etc. Um, they operate exactly like a City of London investment team. So it is a completely different challenge. So when you think about something as um, what feels like as arbitrary as rolling out a, a Windows 10 update and um, the difference between the different users uh, what time commitment they have for testing uh, just something as simple as uh, an event at Welcome Collection you can't disrupt any of the users because they rely on technology to to broadcast their events uh, versus if the investments team are doing uh, a huge investment deal and so even just scheduling um, any work to be done, we have every different type of user. Um, so that that has been a real challenge. That continues to be a real challenge. Um, and I think one of the other things is organically, um, Welcome has grown. Uh, in the 90s, when Welcome sold off the last of the pharmaceutical uh, funds, uh, we were quite small. We got a hugely progressive investments director, changed our portfolio enormously in the 90s. Um, and with that change of portfolio became the change of reach that Welcome could have globally um, in terms of the money. We now aim to distribute a billion pounds a year in terms of grant giving. And uh, in comparison, in the 90s, we were talking hundreds of thousands, not even millions that we were looking to give out. So the organic growth and the way that that has affected Welcome has meant we have had to move with speed, but we've got to be careful as, a, you know, as a charitable foundation. We need to be frugal with the money that we spend, um, but we need to do things quickly. We need to do things safely. And the, the world changes faster than than we can keep up with it with all of those parameters. So um it's that that has always proven a challenge in in getting that balance right between the operations we need to do to do the great work that welcome does and the speed with which welcome wants to do um do 
achieve that vision and mission. Um, and we're probably still getting that balance right, to be fair. And technology, you know, I, I'll throw out even just uh, being able to download an app onto your phone super easy we all do it every day but as soon as you start doing that um at a enterprise level as soon as um somebody says this is great new app and i desperately want to use it how quickly can it move to support that do it in the right way fund it buy enterprise licenses make sure that people use it and not end up with 72 of that same app because it's all accessible to people and it wasn't like that 20 30 years ago um so all of those things, the organic growth and the different types of users that we have to support and getting that balance right between the money we spend and the money that has and absolutely should be going towards um, our funding activities uh, are the real challenges we had beforehand. Thank you. I, I, I love the way you've got the variety of users. <laughs> I guess running a museum is rather different from a portfolio, but the change of speeds and what have you. And, and, and actually, I can see both... Uh, Julian and Gary sort of nodding about the different speeds of what was and now what is and, and what's happened in the school because you know that's been hugely disruptive hasn't it for you Gary? Yeah I, I mean I, I must admit you know listening to Sam I can you know agree with so many points there you know the the kind of variety of users you know we, we as a school have users from the kind of early years all the way through to you know to set your our lower sex and upper sex and there are a variety of needs there we've got you know the different curriculum areas and different subjects which have a variety of needs and then you've got the individual teachers the individual students all with a, a variety of needs that we have to support um, and and that you know we are we if I reflect back to when things were normal um, whatever that is anymore um, it you know at least there were some common things we knew that they were in the classrooms we knew we knew that they were on our wi-fi we knew that they were within our time zone and then obviously the pandemic hit and all of a sudden I'm no longer sure which device they're using. I'm no longer sure which time zone they're in. I'm no longer sure what their connectivity is like. I'm no longer sure whether they're in a country that has some form of national filtering or or blocking that will affect some of our applications. Um, so we suddenly had all of these kind of unknowns that that we'd never had to deal with. Um, I find that interesting. Sam mentioned that that speed. Um, you know, being being agile and fast, but being careful. Um, I think the funny thing is, in education, prior to the lockdown, we never really had to worry about speed. Um, you know, I I, I recently I, I recently gave a talk, and and I I showed I talked about COVID prior to to um, the pandemic, and I showed a picture of a classroom in 1911. Um, and then I showed a picture of a classroom in kind of um, twenty you know twenty twenty, um, and yes, there, in the twenty twenty classroom there was some bits of technology, an interactive whiteboard, maybe a, a data projector, and a PC in the corner. But generally in education, a lot hadn't changed. The kids still sat, you know, looking towards the front. There was a front of the classroom. Um, there was a teacher at the front. There always had been. There were walls. Registration was taken at the beginning. A lot hadn't changed. And although there had been people um, for a long period of time that have been, you know, talking about um, the potential impact of technology, I, I found a lovely government white paper uh, from 2005 that talked about um, how all schools would have um, e-learning capability by 2008 so that the yeah. students could learn both on-site and off-site. Yeah. Um, I'm not quite sure that happened. And then obviously the pandemic hit and all of a sudden we, we had to enable learning to happen with the students and the teachers at home. And for us as an international boarding school, um, we had to provide that facility for students all over the world. And all of a sudden we had to create speed, which had never really been there. Um, and we had to roll out platforms. And I think for, you know, reflecting myself, I think we were lucky um, to a certain extent, partially planned, but we we had things that we, we were already heading down certain roads around the use of the cloud, you know, platforms like, you know, Microsoft's platform, Google's platform. We were heading down that road and 
we just had to expedite that and and move forward a lot quicker than we'd originally intended. Um, I think some other schools possibly found that a lot more difficult because they hadn't even started those journeys that made it made it quite a big challenge. Um, I think, you know, additional to that, I, I think people are probably, you know, the, the users are probably one of the, the big challenges and how to support and, and enable them to deal with that change, you know, and I think for us, you know, teachers have done, you know, teachers across the world have done a fantastic job of, of you know, n- you know, having to adapt to a situation that that they were neither necessarily trained for or prepared for, um, and I think that that is possibly been one of the biggest challenges, you know, is supporting and enabling them the, the training and professional development side of things, and the. The, the thing going forward is, you know, how do we how do we hold on to this? Yeah, I think uh, everybody now always respected teachers, but the respect went up quite a lot when they had to do their own homeschooling or anything of that nature. <laughs> and, and thinking about um, Julian, yeah, you've got a very different setup. You know, you don't employ different people. You're trying to get to lots of different people in different situations. But how do you get the access? I mean, your, your world must be quite challenging, even just yeah, in... interesting. I mean, certainly inside prisons, um, connectivity in terms of internet and access, there's lots of issues. I mean, inevitably, there's the whole security piece that lies behind it. You know, what is what is able to be done securely that doesn't uh, threaten the integrity of the prison's estate, really. Um, and actually, there is a move, and there are very few, I think there are only about 16 prisons in the country that have in-cell cabling, but actually, largely, it was allowed to have USB sticks, um, but most access in-cell is not allowed, so devices are, are not allowed. And there's a lot of movement with the Ministry of Justice and others to kind of change all of that. So, I mean, in practical terms, the prisons have continued to do elements of education where, for instance, our team have gone into prisons, not face-to-face work. So normally they'd be doing skills training in training centres that are on the prison estate, you know, for construction industry skills. People will be going in from places like the Clink restaurants to teach, you know, do the cookery stuff and all of that kind of thing where people can then get an opportunity because the main thing is that people who don't who leave prison who don't have any skills or training or get any support when they come out ready for that are are and, and are unemployed really the reoffending rate is huge mm, yeah. so the, the key in all this is to be able to create employment opportunities skills education and training and you know is i found quite interesting actually the number of people who expressed through us an interest in actually doing further and higher education as well as all the people who want to do the core skills that will give them what's called a cscs card that allows them to the portal into work in construction but then there's millions of issues there around you know um people the type of offenses people have had you know um drug and substance abuse issues there's, a, there's so many issues involved in kind of how you support somebody but in essence people that do get more support and it is a massive desire of government and all the providers to actually enable that to happen but the logistics in terms now in terms of getting you know um the kind of internet access that you need and so on and so forth is is a mammoth thing really Um, and i think actually the staff in prisons have done incredibly well the prisoners you know face their own challenges not only just because you're already in a prison and an institution but also they've been locked down for you know for a long time for 23 hours a day or 23 23 and a half hours a day so you know actually there's an appetite for learning partly for something to do and partly because actually some people are desperate to be able to get out and and find a job and that's now going to be complex because there's so many people out of work anyway and you know through furloughing and then being made redundant so there's a changing jobs market um but it's interesting i I mean i I was just struck yesterday by the fact that a couple of guys um had passed their forklift, forklift truck training on our community training side so there is still been some face-to-face work but even some of that some of the background stuff has been done because we can supply that through dvds or we can do it online we can use ai we can use all these things to enable us to do lots of things we didn't do before but getting to the point of turning an organization around to being digitally focused is quite a big journey i mean everything in the organization was you know done face-to-face largely 
Um, and so suddenly, not only do we all have to kind of learn how to use Microsoft 365 if we didn't use it before, and how do you connect to the cloud and how do you do all of that? That was relatively simple. And actually, people thrived and I think enjoyed all that, all our staff. Um, and suddenly thought, oh, actually, you can do things. Some people were trapped in different countries during lockdown and, you know, still working. But, we, you know, we'd have team meet. Well, we still do have team meetings and people are in France or in Spain or wherever it is. I remember for myself when I was I would be going into schools, working with leadership teams and, and head teachers um, and uh, and actually where I'd be doing stuff face to face in groups, you know, which was just what I was used to doing, suddenly I'm having to do things online. The one-to-one thing is much easier than doing group training online. Yeah. But then we all had to get savvy with breakout rooms and all of this stuff. I sit on a United Learnings uh, Academy Trust School Improvement Board and trying to do school improvement of the, in the context of, of, of COVID is quite a challenge because, you know, the staff are busy engaging, actually learning themselves, how, as you say, uh, how to learn to deliver lessons, get content engage with pupils and the parents and so on so i think these complexities have been enormous i think i think overall what i would say is for those of us who have connectivity and for those enabled with connectivity either organizationally or individually it's provided huge range of massive range of opportunity in a way to expand your horizons do things differently you know speed up this idea of using modern technology and that's fantastic. But I do worry about how the hybrid working is going to affect us all and actually how we go back to hybrid. Uh, will we go back to hybrid? I, my guess is we will. And there'll always be a need to face to face. I was working with um, a, a museum of education in Hitchin and they actually, you know, that whole piece um that was being described by Gary there of the, of the whole business of um, how education really hasn't changed in one sense. People have tried to change buildings and the style of classrooms. Should they be in the round? Should they be in small groups? Should they be open plan? All of this, that's gone on in the last couple of decades, but essentially teaching per se in a classroom hasn't changed. If anything, I think there's been a push back to kind of quite old fashioned methods of teaching in some respects, you know, teacher at the front, everybody quiet, all learning in large groups, then breaking out potentially into smaller groups. Um, and I think there, there exists a real opportunity here with technology to use it differently to accelerate people's learning that they do in schools. Um, and I've noticed how many applications have, have emerged. And indeed, at Bounce Back, we've been starting to use applications where people, when they're released into the community, can keep in touch with the team or when jobs come up or interviews come up or really on their mobiles and really be connected up with very quickly so they don't miss opportunities and so on. So I think the terrain is great, but but the, the gap between our our desire to do stuff and our ability to do stuff still remains, I think, in for lots of organisations, quite a big, wide gap and we rely on people like yourselves and technicians like sam and so on to help guide us through that and learn because i think we're all capable of learning how to do more stuff but we do have to invest time in that learning don't we absolutely i think um what's really interesting listening to to you julia is is the the excitement for innovation and I'm just wondering, is, is welcome, is uh, Millfield, maybe start with Millfield, is the school sort of like energised after the initial, oh my God, to, oh, okay, is there sort of new energy for in- innovation and change in the school now? Um, I, I think, yeah, I, I'd say to since, you know, the, the first lockdown was a bit of a, a kind of shock and, yeah. uh, you know, all of a sudden, right, we've, we've got to accelerate everything and, and you know, we've, we've got to find solutions. I, I think one of our challenges was that obviously at the core is that, is that the teaching and learning side of things, that, that academic side, but also as a school, we offer a, a kind of wide breadth you know in, in terms of sporting um capability you know it's you know a sporting focus you know co-curricular opportunities and then how how do you provide them um in in an event you know in, in the situation where everybody's remote and 
I, I must admit, I, I found it quite um, interesting to watch some of our sports coaches come up with very, very creative ways that students can practice golf, for example, um, in their own house using using a stepladder, um, a, a, you know, a, a couple of golf clubs and a couple of golf balls. And there was some brilliant creativity that, that came out at that point. And I, 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 it was really, really brilliant to see that kind of that kind of agility as people suddenly realise, right, we've, we've still got to put on this bread and we've got to find a way to do it. Um, you know, that, that, that was really, really good. I do, I do think, though, um, and I, I think it's one thing, I, you know, I think it's been widely recognised as the well-being issue um, around this period of lockdown and, and this period of, of, you know, the online side of things. And so I think there's definitely... Um, an interest in that innovation. We've seen some really, really good bits of creativity. I, um, today, for example, for example, we're doing a kind of um, an online school trip involving lots of different schools and bits of content from all around the world, all being done online. It's brilliant creativity. But I also feel at this point where we're in are we in lockdown three? Is it? I, I lose count. Oh, what, what, what month is it? What year is it? Um, I, I think there is also an element of fatigue, um, and and you know that the, the so-called Zoom fatigue, um, the the well-being side of things. You know, teachers sat staring at a screen um, for long periods of time, and also concern about the students and their well-being sat, you know, um, staring at a screen. So I, I do think. Um, we will be glad to have at least some of our students back on site um, and, and they will be back hopefully next week um, and, and to actually get, you know, back to that face to face and some of whatever the new normality looks like. I think, though, that in itself is also interesting because Julian sort of mentioned the, the kind of hybrid situation. And we will have that. We will have next week. We will have some of our students on site. But teachers at the same time will also have some of the students remote. Um, and one thing I'd recognise is that um, remote teaching brought with it challenges over face-to-face -face te teaching. But we got, you know, you, we, we saw, I think the majority of people adapted and found ways of working and, 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 and did that quite effectively. Hybrid teaching... Um, represents a whole new set of challenges because you get the you get the pros of face to face with some of your students and the pros of remote teaching with some of your students but you also get the drawbacks and the difficulties associated with face to face teaching and the difficulties associated with remote you know or online teaching and and that and that added complexity and those added difficulties um will make for us the, the next couple of weeks challenging as we head up to the Easter holidays um, and I, I think everybody will be glad of the Easter break to, to recharge yeah. and hopefully be glad if we can get all of our students and return to face-to-face -to -face, you know from Easter onwards. Mm -hmm. Yeah totally. the health and well-being piece has really um, been quite big actually I think more so now than at the beginning in a way although we all probably all of us struggled to some degree with the idea of being locked in and how long would it last and could we go out for a walk? Could we not? And were we going to get told that we couldn't be in a particular area? We didn't know how it was going to work. We've all kind of got used to it, I guess, to one degree or another and all adapted to one degree or another. Um, but I think this whole thing of fatigue and being on screen a lot, I mean, I, it was always the techies, you know, like Sam, who were the ones that were always kind of, you know, on a laptop and permanently kind of glued to it really but now a lot of us are and I think that presents its own challenges just in terms of your physical um, health and well-being and I mean it it pushed me into starting yoga online because I kind of remember thinking well actually I used to do yoga and I quite like it but actually I feel I need it more than ever because you end up by the end of a day sort of you know pretty cramped up and I can, you have to create new disciplines for yourself. And I think for, for young people for or, you know, anybody really, you've got to create a load of disciplines around how you manage yourself. What I've noticed is how easy it is for all of us to work longer, actually. 
because it's very you just get caught up in a world sort of on screen and the time goes and I always have to sort of discipline myself to go think oh it's time for a drink it's time to go and have lunch or you know and creating structure for yourself and new ways of sort of behaving it's been quite a journey I think for a lot of people whereas that structure exists in an office in a way where you get interrupted and you've got that social interaction so I think for most people it's been a big learning curve and and if you look on the whole as I say for those who are fortunate enough to be connected it's a whole different ball game if you're struggling and you haven't got a laptop or you haven't got decent wi-fi uh, you know or if you're stuck in a flat with you know young children and trying to home educate and do a job I mean I, I'm sure we've all been involved in all those meetings where you know kids suddenly pounce onto a table and I just remember thinking oh, I'm so glad mine aren't tiny because it would have been so much more challenging <laughs> you know but um and what's wonderful I've got children in different parts of the of the world you know and the technology enables us as parents to be connected up in a way that allows us access that as you know that even when many of us probably left home you know we made phone calls to our parents once a week or they to us or whatever but now you can be on the phone and someone's got a problem they're walking down the street in new york or in in jerusalem or across the other side in my case of cambridge and you know and you think this is all amazing what a gift that is Um, i certainly think in terms of science and technology god I imagine not not just the technical things of vaccine creation, but actually the way um, scientists and uh, have been able to communicate with one another and use all this genome sequencing and all the rest of it. You know, this has all been amazingly digitized, hasn't it, Sam? And yeah. I, I am when I see my son doing stuff and he shows me these graphs, which I have no idea where he gets a propensity to be brilliant at science. And, and, you know, bio, he's doing epigenetics and stuff. And he ex- sometimes tries to explain stuff to me. And I look at these incredible things that they do online of sequencing and stuff. And I think this is just amazing. And it reminds me of being a child and seeing, you know, almost sci-fi type things where people were talking about how we'd be talking to each other on watches and on things. And actually they've happened. And, you know, I always wonder about that interplay between, you know, science fiction and sort of, you know, those kind of things and and imagination of what's possible and actually the way things come about then and actually land in the world. And here we are experiencing that stuff, you know, firsthand in a way that our parents and my would never have dreamed possible. Well, although I remember keeping in touch with my parents and I had to queue for the phone on the wall, which was operated with uh, two Bob. But uh, (laughs) press A, press B. Sam, obviously, uh, the pandemic has made everybody a a virologist and uh, an immunologist as well. Are you sort of surprised at exactly how fast the world of health and healthcare and pharmaceuticals have reacted to the situation? Yeah, absolutely. And I think Julie makes a good point that it's it's very much, uh, you know, the communication and the way of collaboration across um, these huge global studies is is very different. I think as well, one thing that we're quite cognizant of is is the focus. So um, welcome as one of its priority um, areas has been about vaccines and uh, the idea of the superbug, you know, the idea that um, at at some point we're going to come up against um, a a virus or um, a disease that is resistant. Um, And and the, the kind of famous one that people hear about is antibiotics. You know, don't take antibiotics when you don't need it because they'll they they won't be uh, relevant. They won't they won't be able to work. Um, Welcome has been looking at that for quite some time. It's been a priority area. And one of the things, um, uh, a a shameless plug um, on our website, we did um, a a communication piece, but about how is the vaccine safe? Because obviously lots of people have concerns. Normally it takes 10 years uh, for a vaccine to come out. And there are lots of people with very valid concerns about, um, well, how did we get it this quick? Is it safe? Have we cut corners? Um, And actually the big piece here is, is focus. So it's, it's, the perfect storm, but in a good way, yeah. of uh, connectivity and collaboration um, globally facing, you know, facing something which is affecting everybody in the same way. Um, so this isn't, you know, th- this is why you hear on the news people say, 
and, and Jeremy Farrer, our director, is very much, you know, don't call it a Brazilian variant. Don't call it a, a UK yeah. variant. That's the wrong thing because it's, variants happen. It doesn't matter where it's from. That makes it sound like, you know, uh, we, we shouldn't go to Brazil because there's a Brazilian variant. And that's th this is a global pandemic. And the mixture of the global pandemic creating a focus that, you know, we can all look at, we can all get on board and we can all collaborate with the connectivity of being able to do that with big data, um, to have the technology that brings us together, to have the ability to have these Zoom meetings and, and connect with people globally without having to travel, without having to fly across the world, because you don't have to physically be there to share what you're doing. But as well, that focus, that immediate focus that uh, governments, the WHO um, put in um, to bring together uh, these vaccination bodies to say, actually, um, we, we need to just focus on this. This is the most important thing. And really, that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen in the life cycle, because um, I think back, I was at Welcome. I, I've been at Welcome for 11 years. Um, and so uh, when the Zika virus hit, when there was the Ebola breakout in Africa, um, Welcome had a huge uh, responsibility to react to that to release funding for that but because it was quite localized um, you just didn't if you weren't looking at the channels you didn't get the news coverage you didn't get parliament talking about it in the same way and um, you didn't get governments you didn't get the WHO being interviewed regularly on channel 4 uh, news or, or BBC news and so if you were in the know you knew it was a huge piece of work but then you know, scientists, people working on, on those diseases have lots of other things. They're being put under pressure to, to develop and look at lots of other things. This has allowed us the focus to get where we need to get in a, in a really quick way. And it is incredible. It's absolutely staggering what has happened. Um, and, and all of that has enabled. And I, I hope personally, you know, having, you know, like everybody else, uh, thought about the pandemic thought about the long-term effects. I think I had a very strange reaction to this June 21st thing. The, you know, my, my first reaction was, uh, should I book the day off? Um, and then my second reaction was, actually, I can't believe that the 21st of June, we might think about going back to normal. Because I think in my, in my head, I had thought we're never going back to normal. Um, and I don't think I knew that. I don't think I had appreciated that that's, that's what I thought. There would be no normal there would be no lifting of restrictions there would be forever you know you've always got to wear masks on the tube you've always got to keep two meters difference there's always going to be limits at concerts at theaters at, um you know in art galleries um and so when you know this this date was put forward and I'm a, I'm a huge proponent that the date should if it needs to move it should move that's scientifically the right thing to do is follow the data um but actually to me I thought that's that's really strange that the world might go back to normal. But did, that did is incredibly found, quick. Did you not find some also that that's also, because uh, I found it also a bit scary. I like the idea of it and I'm also a bit nervous by it. And I think for it a lot is. of people, it's this business of, will I have my two jabs and feel more protected? And then, you know, are we ever going to be back in a situation for, well, maybe we'll be in five years time, but in initially, are we not going to be in and out of these kind of, requirements to socially distance to wear masks in certain situations because I think it's the I think it's really interesting the whole thing around what's what we can cope with and what we can't um, and I think I never expected to feel slightly anxious about the business of going back to being face to face you know whereas at first Absolutely. I was longing for it and then now it's it might be upon us I'm thinking How's that actually going to be? And some of our staff have started to be so fed up with being at home that they are, and we are considered key workers because they're doing work with training and education. And so we've had to think quite hard about how we talk to them about really maintaining social distancing and, and continuing to be careful about how they travel and the means of travel and who they're connected, you know, because I think it's also easy for some people to think, well, it's going to be okay. Um, and, just and I I would say as well as you were both talking before I I, I remember the heady days in another life of doing a learning and development qualification and um, and thinking about the kinesthetic nature of learning that actually not everyone can just sit and listen some people have to do they have to physically put things up you know and 
And uh, yes, techies traditionally are wedded to their laptop and computers. But actually, I'm a I'm a huge advocate of when you need to do you, you need to do a, a solve a problem, get a bunch of post-it notes, get people up and moving around a room, putting things on walls, joining the dots. And actually, the way that the human mind works, you know, that really that really works for some people where other things don't. But actually, that can break other people out of linear thinking into, you know, a, a tackling a problem in a different way. So what what we've done you know what we found and um i'm you know I, I will be really pleased to say that the technology department at welcome we were slightly ahead of the curve with you know data was accessible we were in office 365 we had our connectivity sorted but actually there were things we hadn't done technical things that i won't go into now that we hadn't done that we had to sort very very quickly but actually, a huge amount of what me and my colleagues have been thinking about is how do you keep people connected? Because there are studies as long as you can, you have time to read that tell you that one of the huge uh, wins of being at work, one of the things that makes you really satisfied, that gives you job motivation, is the connection with the people around you. And actually... I've worked in multiple different jobs in Welcome. I've worked in multiple different departments over my 11 years. And for the first time ever, I feel like I don't know anyone outside of my immediate team because you don't t chat to that person in facilities in the queue for lunch. You don't get into the lift with one of the executive leadership team and have a chat with them about how their day is going. You can't just walk uh, to a floor to see your finance partner and then see all the other people from finance you happen to know. You know, you don't have... We, we had great, you know, staff quizzes that we do once a year with you'd have 40 teams uh, sitting doing a staff quiz together and there'd be, you know, banter and, and fun. And uh, but that then spills over into the professional work day, because then the next day you'd you'd, you know, make fun of your CTO because he came last and his team was last and that you, you wouldn't let him live that down for the next month and and all that kind of thing. But that's where technology can only go so far because that connection even the social cues of seeing how people are as a as a leader as a line manager i've spent even more time now having to call people to see if they're okay you were talking very eloquently before about well-being because actually in the office i could see somebody hunched over their desk i could see them come back for a meeting and tense and angry and and I could say to them do you want to go for a coffee and are you okay how are, you know was that meeting not what you expected and and I could get that as a leader I can't get that now as a leader that's blind to me so so now I'm having to call people on zoom and even now I'm looking at, at all of you and and that's fantastic but I can't tell if some of you are you know a annoyed or angry or thinking oh god just hurry up and finish speaking so that the next person can speak you know I can't see any of that because I can't quite see people's faces properly and my goodness doing a presentation doing anything a presentation to people how teachers do this because as I I love a presentation I love standing I love sharing I love I love showing people what we've done but when you have 50 people on a team's call and you can't see anybody I mean, you crack a joke and all you get is silence and you're thinking, I'm hoping somebody somewhere on this call is giggling because I thought it was funny. And in a, in a room, I'd be able to get that. I'd think, oh, that joke didn't land. Oh, I need to move on. Oh, this this topic is really interesting. I'm going to elaborate on it. And now I'm thinking I had to do a presentation to a to a senior leadership team. Some people I'd never met before. And uh, all I had two screens and all I had was the presentation and my notes. I couldn't see anybody. So I had to just keep flicking back thinking, is the COO even listening? Because I can't <laughs> see him. I'm hoping he's there because I need him to sign this off, to be honest. And all of that is so is so difficult. But to the hybrid point, I just want to touch on this really quickly and then I'll uh, get, off, get off my soapbox. But um, to the hybrid point, I think from a technology point of view, what me and my team are talking about a lot and, and our applications colleagues. We have a separate team, uh, a, a peer of mine who looks after the application specialists. And, and really the hot topic of conversation for us now is when everybody is in the office, or when everybody is at home, it is much easier to deal with. And it goes back to um, what was being said before about, you know, kids being all in the classroom, all at home and you don't know where they are. 
and actually you know how do we go back take the learning that we have today and the understanding of what it was like before what it's been like for the last year but make sure that we don't end up with just cliques of people you have the people who are always in the office because that's what their job requires or they're not in a comfortable space at home they don't have the ability to work from home easily they're not in a mentally safe space at home um, to, to work at home but then you end up with kind of the office group and then you end up with the working at home group and you know when you're in the office and you're having lunch with people and you're chatting you're not instant messaging your teammates to see how they are but similarly if you're sitting in front of your computer and you know that your network team are running off around the building swapping switch stacks I have no idea how they are for three days because I I can't get hold of them because they're not on a computer and and so that for us is is the anxiety I guess of of going back is is understanding that hybrid world and and we're not going to get it right. I think we've just resigned ourselves to we can be ahead of the curve a little bit, but we're just going to have to make ourselves available for a good couple of months afterwards to be as reactive and fast to react to people's well-being needs and the organisation needs as we as we were when we went into lockdown, even though we hopefully know this well in advance. I think that degree of sensitivity is going to be really important with people returning back to offices and so on. And it's also going to be legally quite important because I I can foresee situations where people are going to see, well, actually, so-and-so it feels under pressure to be here and they're in the office X days a week and they've got more expense because now they've got to travel and we've not got to travel. And so we're saving money and you're more privileged because you can be at home. And I can see lots of divisions potentially occurring that we're all going to have to navigate quite carefully and quite slowly. But the other thing that struck me in what Sam was talking about was how and all that you'd said, Sam, about, you know, the uh, the use of technology, how it's enabled so many things. Um, I'm also struck by the way in which sometimes was it the technology that failed us around, you know, this desire to have tracking and tracing apps and so on? Or was it our inability to use the technology and to and to deal with stuff at other levels you know data protection or or people's willingness to engage with one another because you know in some countries they've had all that technology is is really whizzy actually much more than it is in the UK because in a sense track and trace as an example has kind of drifted into the background and gradually I always thought local authorities should be involved in that because I'd always had a, a knowledge about local authorities doing public health work you know, to track and trace people for all manner of infections and, you know, work in schools and understand, you know, polio and all these different things that have been eradicated and actually deal on those things. But actually, we got had this idea that it was going to be a massive technological boost and we were all going to be clicking and check, being checked on. And in a sense, is it the technology that's failed or is it just our ability to or, or the political will or what? I'm just I just wonder what's gone on there really technologically great question would you like to come in on that one (laughs) um yeah i mean i would it's uh it's an old cliche but i think in any in any project and anything you do you've got technology people process and everything else right and and that's what we talk about all the time i like the i like the and everything else because there's a bucket of stuff that don't fit in no (laughs) technology people process um but technology can only take you so far. And I mean, I think about at Welcome, I, I was a project manager. I think about um, the projects I've been involved in, I've led or I've seen led by other people that the technology is spot on. You know, absolutely. It fits, ticks all those functional and non-functional requirements as a tick box exercise, whether you're Prince 2, you're Agile or you're somewhere in between, you're proper happy with how you ended up and nobody uses it. And that's not about the technology, right? That's not about the technology. That's about, you know, um, going back to all your agile principles, you know, were you think were you putting your users first? Did you understand how people wanted to use it? Did you educate them? Did people understand, you know, what was in it for them? Did they did they even care that they were doing it? And so from where I was sitting, um, and I know people who um, you know, were involved um a little bit they weren't in part of track and trace I will say people at welcome didn't weren't part of track and trace I know people outside of welcome who were who were part of that I just think it doesn't matter how well the technology was going 
um, to be. Um, I think there probably were better ways it could have been done. I think there were there were better opportunities. I think um, when I do speak to colleagues and welcome, they they say, well, you know, there are there are a hundred like, you know, startup apps which work better than the track and trace. So, yes, it could have been better, but actually it could have been used if you got the people and the process and all the other stuff right. And and I think there was there was a negative perfect storm for me with that of an app that was a little bit clunky which got put together very quickly which didn't necessarily think about users I mean I remember being in a pub um quite early on in track and trace when the pubs were open my goodness I'm count I've got the app that counts down the days when they're open again I will say that's the first thing I downloaded after <laughs> Boris's announcement um, style. yeah um but I remember being in a pub and um the the poor person behind the bar had the track and trace uh, QR code up and two people came in and um uh, and he was like you need to you, you need to scan the code they had no clue how to do it one person had a phone which was possibly, you know, a Nokia 3310 that had been charged in 1993 and was still going. And yeah, um, just that cockroaches and like Tootsie Rolls are going to be left at the end, I think. Um, and then and then the other person had a smartphone, had, didn't even know what a QR code was. And so this guy is trying to, you know, but get pull me my pine and look at all the other people, make sure that they're social distance and then teach this person how to use their phone to scan the app because it's now a legal requirement to do that. That to me isn't putting the user first. That isn't saying, well, actually you have, you know, 10 year olds who can unlock iPads and download Peppa Pig and spend loads of money on Candy Crush. But you also have people of all ages and backgrounds to your point about connectivity who aren't connected so you know what do they do and then loads of people who've never had to do that and they just look at you and go what's a qr code and why do i have to scan it and you know am i being tracked and if you're not putting the user first then they could have got the app as as good as they wanted it to be but that the marketing the politics around it and then um you know all the process behind that your point about local authorities you know who's calling you who's doing the checking um that was unpicked so quickly i think in the media that the technology was always going to fail and unfortunately you know i take some of the failed projects i've seen or been part of and you just extrapolate that to a to a to a national piece and and that that's where it is um I I wish they would just close the book on it. You know, one thing you get you find out very quickly as a project manager, I guess, is to say just admit when it's not gone and just stop. Yeah. Like just just stop, you know, flogging a dead horse and and just saying stop wasting time effort on it. And now it just feels like it's bubbling away in the background like so many failed yeah. projects that I've seen and and no one's actually just going to say you know what we hold up our hands let's just kill it and stop paying the compute power to keep it running oh I'm really worried about cloud costs all of a sudden <laughs> aren't we all any click model you have to worry about uh, Gary um, I'd like to turn to you because yeah, you're the first person brought up the hybrid and you know obviously kids teaching the ultimate in engagement so you've got the real challenge now starting very soon at the beginning of this, we talked about speed, and I wondered now, um, we've gone through the pandemic, we've seen what technology can and can't do, we're now going to face into the hybrid model, and I do agree, I think that's going to be terrifically hard. But do the trustees up there, have they now got a focus on speed? Have they now changed their view of the world? Or do you think we're going to go back to a slightly more slower pace of change? I <laughs> I, I think there is there is a natural danger, you know, it's, it, the the change um, forced change, and a lot of this was largely forced and rapid. Um, that that will end up like a rubber band, and there, there will be an attempt for the rubber band to spring back to where we were and re-establish normal as as what it was before the pandemic. Um, Linked to that, though, there, there's also, you know, so many people are, are awake, conscious of that and therefore talking about the new normal and therefore that we can't return back to to where we were because, you know, we, we've got to have learned things 
Um, you know, so, there, there were so many good things, you know, there, there, there have been good things in terms of teaching and learning um, that we can take from our experience. I mean, um, I was having a conversation on social media um, earlier on today about some students who were shy and and although we've talked here about the kind of the, the, the importance of the social side of things there were some students who didn't like the social side of the classroom that found it difficult and who suddenly when presented with an environment where they could interact with their teacher through chat and share files and collaborate that that suddenly um blossomed and and did very very well um We've somehow got to take that and 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 look at that and and take the positives and 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 make sure we've learned from them and move forward. I would hope that within education, um, there is a lesson here that we do have to be more agile. You know, I I, I I've gone. You know, I I met Joanna at CIO event, and obviously, business agility there was was you know such an important topic and. And, you know, I reflected at that time and went, agility in education, hmm, it's not something that traditionally we are very, very good at. Um, and I would hope that the events of the last year would, would mean that at all levels of education, we're looking at it going, I think we need to be more agile. Um, and I think, um, I'm not sure who made the point, um, but this, this point about uh, acknowledging that we won't get it right. And I think that's one thing education sometimes is not very good at. You know, we, we, we hyper plan things, trying to make sure we've covered every single variable because, you know, we, we can't run the risk of affecting, you know, a student's educational experience. You know, we, we just can't do it. We've got to hyper plan. But we have to look at it the other way, that actually by that hyper planning and the slow pace of change and their slow reaction could that, in effect, have a negative impact on students' education? And therefore, sometimes we need to accept that we need to change and we need to acknowledge that we might not get it right and, and we're on a journey and we just need to keep moving forward. Um, I, do, I do sometimes wonder, there are some, you know, you, you get the kind of case studies of the schools that have done fantastic things with educational technology. Um, and you read the case study and you listen to them. And it almost reads like they started at point A, they did some stuff and they got to point Z. And it was a straight line. I I'm sorry, I've not found any technology kind of uh, project <laughs> that goes from A to Z in a straight line. It doesn't involve some missteps, some changes and some problems. I think it's about time education realises that and we, we, yeah. we, we move forward. But Gary, do you not think, I mean, what I've seen in this in terms of education across the board, so if you took that in schools, in colleges, in, in, in universities, is that actually everybody had to, everybody has had to stop thinking about what does it mean in terms of the exam results, because exam results aren't the same you can't compare year on year you can't do lots of stuff and I just think there's a real opportunity in education to be if if it were able to be grasped to actually remodel some of the way we plan and think about the purpose of it what's it being allied to for the future you know because everything has changed in this world and, and what the pandemic has demonstrated is that it's a very different world and the globalization thing that we all thought works at one level doesn't work at another level and i'm not quite sure where our education system is going to go but there's no real debate around that at the moment there's lots of stuff on social media and with educationalists individually but the interesting thing will be will a government actually begin to have the capacity and, and ability to begin to map how education could look for the future and how you get from where we are now to what a better model might be to help people have the skills, the knowledge, the, the, the desire for learning that's going to enable them in the world as, it, as we develop and grow. And I think that's a whole thing, the whole real opportunity in there. But we've not yet had that as a national conversation. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to strongly agree. There is a massive opportunity to reimagine what education is. Um, 
There is massive challenge around that, though, because education is such a, a mammoth beast, you know, from from the, the grassroots, the students, the teachers, senior leaders, then you're up to local authorities, then you know, you're through government, you've got off-qual, you've got... Um, and and I think one of the one of the problems here related to what you know what I said is that um, I think that's part of the reason why education hasn't changed very quickly because of the complexity level and all of these people and they all have to agree and um, we we never can agree. Um, I, I think this is an opportunity to to, to look at it. Um, I don't think it's an, you know I don't think it's easy though. Um, I mean in terms of the the exams. Um, the fairness of it, I find a, f- a very funny in- conversation. You know, is it is it fair? Um, were the exams ever fair? You know, some students, you know, did really well in them and were natural for it. Other students weren't. So I think I don't think um, our current process is necessarily less fair. It's just a different kind of fair, or or it might be fair to a different subset of the overall student body. Um, I would definitely like. I mean, I've I've always been a big proponent of the. Um, you know, of of the, the vocational qualifications, I think they're fantastic. Um, you know, I, I think long we've talked about the academic qualifications, the A-levels and whatever, but I think vocational education has for a long time been undervalued. Yeah. There really is an opportunity now to relook at it. But, and I think there are plenty of people saying this, but it needs to be taken on at the highest levels and they need to accept that, they're not going to get it right and they're not going to uh, please everybody, you know, we, but we need to do it. I, well, I've really enjoyed today. Unfortunately, we've run out of time, but I think we could probably keep this conversation going for perhaps another hour, but I wouldn't want to take your time because I know you're very, very busy people. Some great takeaways though. And I think you've all touched on the, the hybrid and I don't think people are quite woken up to what that's going to be like. Everything I've heard about, is about engagement and getting that right. And I think we've been challenged about engagement, but we also have to start. My son very much has enjoyed more perhaps being working away from home rather than being the rump rough and tumble of the, of the playground. Um, accepting that we don't always get it right, but we can move more quickly. Um, and I think what's been really great listening to, to, to all of you today, actually, and I think perhaps we should expect this from a not-for-profit, is how much you look out. You think about the people you're working with and the mission that really came through. It's been really refreshing. So thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. And we hope that when people hear this, they can be inspired. Like some of the comments you've made, they'd be inspired to think that mm, they're organizations in different ways. So thank you very, very much. Thank Thanks very much indeed. Thank you. It's been wonderful. Yeah. Thank you very much.